All right, we're going to end the Civil War then, and we're going to talk about a thing called the Lost Cause. And this is... History is one of those things that doesn't seem to matter until it suddenly does. It's one of those things that, that's easy to cut out of the curriculum. It's easy for people to be like, yeah, I just don't really care about that. It, that happens. So in 2001, the Congress under the direction of President George W. Bush, that's the younger Bush, passed a law called No Child Left Behind. In that, they took the four core subjects and they made them super duper important. So that's science, math, English, and history. Except for history. They couldn't really agree on what mattered in history, so they decided to just leave it off the list. So it's the one core subject that didn't end up with a bunch of stupid tests. And I didn't really mean to say stupid tests, but I think since it came out, I'm going to just stand by it. Now, so since then, we've had tons of testing in those other three subjects, to the degree that elementary schools almost only teach those three subjects. And the other stuff that you used to do, like music and creativity and stuff that really matters in the adult world, we skip. So right, I'm a historian. My specialties are the American West and the history of education. So, um, so this is what happened. So history became the subject that nobody teaches. As a consequence, uh, people don't know it very well. So this, just this last week, they did, did, every year they do this big test. And it turns out that right now Americans are more historically illiterate than they have been at any point of time in, since they started to measure it. Yay! Now, so why do we care? Why does that matter? There's a couple reasons. Okay, first of all, history and government are very closely related. We function, our republic lives or dies based on the knowledge that our populace has about how it works. So when we have a bunch of historically illiterate people, this isn't just a tragedy, this is a national disaster. Second, history is the easiest way to manipulate people. I hate to use him as an example, but in this case, he's a very good example because he gets overused by people who don't know anything about history. You're just going to have to trust that I know what I'm talking about when I bring up Adolf Hitler. One of the things he manipulated was history. He came up with all this kind of German stuff. Oh, we're doing awesome stuff. He used to argue with his archaeologist because he'd say, all you've proven is that we were living in trees while our neighbors were developing civilization. Like, he'd get really mad. He wanted to, to make history into something that it never had been. That the whole Aryan thing, all of that stuff was him manipulating history. Now, we don't have that kind of crazy history manipulation going on now, but we do have it all the time. People make claims, oh, the founding fathers said this, oh, they said this, oh, well, they, there's this, oh, there's this. They're, they're making claims, and because we are historically illiterate as a society, those claims are getting more traction than they ought to. So what does that have to do with today, besides you're in history class? What it has to do with today is there's one that is so targeted 
that it serves as the perfect example of somebody using history to manipulate how people think. And what's even better is we live in the West. If we lived in the East, I might have to temper myself a little bit and be like, well, you know, your ancestors, blah, blah, blah. But we live in the West, and here in the West, it's kind of like these Easterners got in this big fight, and they have a, had a civil war. What a bunch of dummies. Were there, by the way, there were some battles in the West, mostly around California. Um, we ignored them because they weren't historically significant, frankly. I, I, there's some his, history teacher in California who's just like, oh, my soul just died a little. I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> ah. So we're going to illustrate how this works, and I hope you're going to apply it to some other things that you're going to see and hear about and, and think, wait a minute. History is, this is how people get manipulated. It's super easy, actually. Barely an inconvenience. Wondered who would catch that reference. Okay, so end of the Civil War. We've learned about why the South lost, and, but let's just recap real fast. What are some of the reasons? There's many reasons. What are some of them? Yeah. Good. Their technology was inferior. Excellent. What else? The factories are in the north. You want a random and stupid historical fact? Because uh, those are fun, right? The reason there were more factories in the north is because factories at that point were mostly water-powered. And in the north, the rivers were in the mountains. And when the rivers are in the mountains, they flow faster, so they can turn the wheel and make the fa factory go. When the river is in a flat plain, it doesn't have as much power, or the river is bigger and more unpredictable. Great time. Any of you live in Karim? No, that's good, because they're flooding right now. Because the, the Bear River, right, even though we're in the mountains, the Bear River is in that super flat plain that goes forever, clearing the crap up to Idaho. Like, that is, it's flooding. Like, it, it's getting way higher because it's just so flat. But it's not a really great river to run a factory on. The Logan River, though, that's a fast-flowing river. You get a lot of power out of that sucker. We cheat. When we need more power, now we use it to create electricity. We just build a dam, and then we make the water go down really fast, and that turns the turbines, and that makes the power. So, yeah, the north has more factories. What else makes the north win? The south started to lose morale. Yeah, good. Why? It was intentional. That's a good hint. Who made it intentional? Who took their morale? Yes. Yes. Sherman. Sherman goes down. He takes the war straight to the people. And so they start losing morale. So there's lots of reasons the South loses. Excellent. Now, they surrender at Appomattox Courthouse. I'm, I don't want to steal the thunder from the people who are still going to talk about this battle today. But it's pretty good. Like, it's pretty good. Lee realizes in the end that he has to give up or his men are just going to die for nothing. 
So what's he going to do? Well, he quits, but he quits in the most dignified way he can find. So this, these are the terms, and they use this in all the other surrenders. So the Confederate troops have to give up their weapons. And they promise they're not going to keep fighting. Are they going to keep that promise? Yes, because this is a different time. Although, honestly, like I, I envy them a little bit for this. You give your word, and then you stick to it. But in return, the Union troops are not supposed to openly mock them. They're not supposed to have big parties like, we won, you lost, oh, losers, right? No, they're not going to do that because they're told not to. The reason is Abraham Lincoln realizes the second they surrender, they are no longer the enemy. They are now American citizens. And so he wants to forgive and forget, and he's the commander-in-chief, so he gets his way. And they do this at all the other Confederate surrenders, when the other armies get surrounded and have to give up. So it actually takes a little bit for everyone to surrender and, and whatever, but the war's pretty much over, so most historians count Appomattox Courthouse as the end. They don't sign the treaty for another year. But... I mean, it's over. Fighting's over. So, let's get to the part that's, that I was kind of setting you up for today. The lost cause. So, read this quote by Faulkner. The past is never dead. It's not even past. What does that mean? What do you think? It's still here, changing, coming with us. It's still a part of us. You make decisions based on decisions your ancestors made. What? I have the dumbest example, but it's going to work really well. You know our toilets in America are way different than other people's toilets? Like, we sit on ours. In the Middle East, they don't sit. What do they do? They kind of squat. Yeah, it's just kind of a thing in the floor. You guys are all grossed out. What? Yeah, it's just kind of this, this thing. It's still porcelain, but in the floor and it's not the way that we do things. Why do we do it the way that we do? Because that's the way our ancestors do it. You probably never sat and thought, there's other kinds of toilet technology that we could have adopted. Or maybe you have. If you have, then maybe you should get out more and make some friends. <laughs> right, so every day we live decisions that were made by people who came before us. And it's nice if we at least acknowledge that these decisions were decisions. At least understand that we could do things. So now we get into history. People always say history is written by the victor, and that's really not true. When we say history is written by the victor, we mean historical memory. Our idea of what happened. We've talked about historical memory. You all know what it is.
the idea what, of what happened and how we feel about it, it's not written by the victor. It's invented by the storytellers that come after. I mean, think about like who, who in history is brave and good and whatever. It's the ones we say are brave and good. How come one group of people does something and they're brave and good and another group of people does something similar and they're dumb? Sometimes it's the outcome, but not always. Not always. Uh, there was this big rebellion in France uh, that changed a lot of things. Um, actually, that changed nothing. They made a book about it called Les Miserables. It was 1832. They just rose up and rebelled. These college students thought everyone would join with them, and nobody did. So the college students just laid their, down their lives for nothing, for no reason. Most people think that's about the French Revolution. It's not. It's about this rebellion. And part of the whole point why it's called the Miserables is because these people were throwing their lives away for nothing. But that's not the way most people think of them now because the only thing they know about them is that Victor Hugo wrote a book about them and there's a musical with Hugh Jackman and it's really good. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, right? So we tend to think, oh, those poor college students who died, well, they, they made a stupid mistake, but we only know there's a musical. Why is Alexander Hamilton the most beloved founding father right now? Because of the musical. Right? They make a movie about someone else and all of a sudden we know about them. It doesn't have to be a musical. It could be a movie. Uh, there was a movie when I was your age called The Patriot. They made this British dude named Tarleton out to be the worst bad guy ever. He wasn't nearly as nasty as they thought. In fact, his descendants were like trying to set the record straight. But it doesn't matter. So historical memory has to do with how we tell the story. So that's the key to today. Okay. After the Civil War, the people in the South intentionally decided to rewrite the history. They purposely did it. They looked around and they thought, our brothers, our fathers, our sons, they died fighting in this war that really, in the end, was fairly nonsensical. What are they trying to defend? The, the idea that everybody can have a plantation? Why is this, why is this a thing? So they, they say, you know what, we're going to change this. And they do it on purpose. And one of the key figures in it was this guy, Pollard, who wrote this book. He called it The Lost Cause. Now that should sound familiar because that's the title of today's lesson. Okay, Pollard was a journalist. And he realized that if you could tell the story in a different way, that people would remember it differently. So he writes this book, he calls it The Lost Cause. In The Lost Cause, he suggests that the Civil War was really about states' rights. That the North had been aggressive and was trying to take away the rights that the South had that were given by the Founding Fathers that were you know, noble. And so the South nobly had to stand up bravely fought 
and sadly lost. They repaint slavery to make it seem nicer than it was. They repaint purposes. They repaint goals and hopes and dreams. So now historians call this the lost cause. And I can almost guarantee that you've heard it. Okay, so they rewrite the history. Because in the end, the Civil War is about these things. If I take away, like, does it have to do with states' rights? Oh, yeah. Does it have to do with sectionalism in the different sections of the country? Well, yes. Does it have to do with economic difficulties? Yes. But states' rights, the states' rights to do what? Own slaves, right? How, where do we get that from, by the way? How do we know that that's accurate? Good. Yes, good. In our case, we read it by the vice president of the Confederacy. Again, good source. Sectionalism, I didn't give you a primary document about. Economic difficulties, though, same document, same thing, all based on this history of slavery. But the lost cause removes slavery as one of the factors. Now, by the way, if this was a real house, what would happen if I removed the foundation? Yes. So. <laughs> Th thanks for the song. Yeah, it's like building your house upon the sand. You wipe away the foundation and down it goes. They... Away it goes. And so we have, um, we have this thing. So they are intentionally removing this. Now, who's intentionally removing it? The, the Daughters of the Confederacy. So this is their moms, their wives of the Confederate veterans, in some cases their daughters, literally their daughters. Yeah. Oh, because if we remove slavery, then none of these others actually matter. So we take out slavery and we, we don't, the state's rights don't matter. We take out slavery and we don't have the economic difficulties. Historians also tend to be kind of weird and like they don't like being manipulated. Okay, so yeah, the Daughters of the Confederacy push this. How do they push it? Well, they start, uh, they'll have lectures, they'll, they'll pull in guest speakers, they will push it in literature, they'll make sure that books are written that suggest this thing. They'll even, when time passes and movie technology develops, they start making movies. The most famous is called Birth of the Nation. It was... Uh, underwritten, like paid for by the KKK. It might shock you that it's not historically accurate. What? I thought the KKK was a great source of info. By the way, you can see part of that on YouTube. It's terrible. 
You should go watch some of it. Just, uh, it's so racist. I mean both of those things. Yeah, it's terrible in every way. Um, and if people didn't believe it, it would be laughable, but unfortunately they did. Uh, the Daughters of the Confederacy will push their stuff into schools. They'll give teachers curriculums that teach their ideas. And they build, they build monuments to the Confederates. Now, look at this monument. I kind of circled something. What do you see in that circle? Yeah, they're people. It's a family. They are supposed to be Afri an African-American family. Yay. And so he's going off to war. He's giving his baby back to his wife. Yeah, because, I mean, look at this. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven soldiers. So one in every seven soldiers must have been black, right? In the Confederacy? Were, there were some black soldiers in the Confederacy. Were there a lot? Absolutely not. No, because it wasn't a popular cause for some reason for them to fight for. Yeah, again, some. Just like there were some African-American slave owners. Not many, but some. But when they put these monuments up, they are intentionally trying to change the narrative. They're trying to change the story. They're manipulating it. Now, I just, Frederick Douglass... Did we talk about Fred Frederick Douglass at all? Douglass was an escaped slave. So he, he was a slave and he realized that the key to everything was reading. So his, uh, his master, his mistress, they, they taught her, him how to read a little bit. And he kept pushing it and taught himself more and more and more and really got to be very eloquent. Wrote several things. His autobiography is fascinating. If you want to pull that up, it's free on the internet because it's really old. Um, and check that sucker out and see what he said. Uh, just read the first little bit. You'll, I guarantee you'll like it. He was a U.S. Marshal at one point. He guarded the president's mansion. So he's the one who answered the door and made sure it was safe to go see the president, President Grant, which is kind of cool. Um, the only black man offered that, that job, so he, he could be armed in the presence of the president. Nifty. I wrote a paper about that too. Um, yeah, U.S. Marshals were responsible for that it's before the Secret Service. Uh, but read what he said here. So you see, even while they're pushing the lost cause, these Southerners, there's other people who are like, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. This isn't, this isn't what happened. We need to rewrite this story. Or we need to not rewrite the story. They also, when they're pushing the lost cause, they reimagine slavery. 
So they push two stereotypes. One is called the Uncle Tom stereotype. So here you have on the left, this is a still from a movie. So this lasts clear into the 30s, 40s, 50s. They call it the Uncle Tom fallacy or the Uncle Tom uh, stereotype from Uncle Tom's cabin. So he's a slave, but he's like the butler, and so he's happy as a slave. See, he's here telling a story or singing or dancing. This is why there's only one Disney movie you can't see, Song of the South, because it stars a black man who is an Uncle Tom stereotype. This is why they redid Splash Mountain, because Disney is so embarrassed by this. Even with their thing, like, have you seen Peter Pan? Have you seen how stereotypical those indigenous Americans are in that Peter Pan scene? Where they're like fire engine red and, you know, squaw, no, dance, squaw, get them firewood. Like, it's so racial. But they're not embarrassed by it. They just put a little warning at the beginning. And then they ignore it. They're like, you can watch Peter Pan. We're going to do all kinds of stuff. But they're so embarrassed by this stereotype that they won't even let you watch it anymore. Yeah, I saw it with my grandma on a re-release when I was in the yeah. 80s. But I wasn't old enough to understand, oh, you know? Well, it's like, it's yeah. well, where'd you get it? <laughs> we got to get the pirated version of Song of the South. Yeah. I just... Okay, over on the right-hand side here, we have what's called the Mammy stereotype. Wrote a paper about this one, too. Mammy is the name of the slave from Gone with the Wind. That's why they call it the Mammy stereotype. African-American woman, she's a servant in the house. She's the caretaker of the children, but she's really happy doing that. Usually depicted as a little overweight. This stereotype, by the way, continues in our cinema and on our TV into the 1980s. The, this lost cause stereotype, they're so pervasive. They're so common. And again, what they're trying to do is they're trying to be like, oh, yeah, slavery wasn't that bad. Look at these. They were happy. They were an essential member of the family. Now, sometimes that was true. Most of the time, it was not. And that's the thing. So they're going to take it and they're going to try to, they're going to try to redo slavery itself. Now, so just a summary. We've talked about these, but these are lost cause claims. And you should recognize these as lost cause claims. So the first one is that slavery isn't really a big part of the Civil War. It, it was fought about other things. States' rights is their favorite. Oh, it's states' rights and economic difficulties. You won't find, you'll find plenty of like eighth grade history teachers or elementary teachers who are like, yeah, that's true. But you won't find a historian, like one that has a master's or a PhD, who's like, yep, that's right. Not a really good one, at least. Um, the Civil War was fought for states' rights. See, it's the same kind of thing. Stop the North. As a matter of fact, in the Lost Cause, sometimes they called it the War of Northern Aggression. 
Next, the Confederacy only lost because the North had more resources or more people. It had nothing to do with their heart or what they thought about it or being tired of war or whatever. It was totally, they just got, got lost because of strength of the North. And then the last one is slavery wasn't that bad. Or sometimes slaves were happy. They were singing. Or they were better off as slaves than they were when they were freed. That's a fairly common one. Here's the thing, though. There are exceptions, of course, but it turns out that most people would rather be poor and free than slaves and live in the big old mansion. Do you get that? Okay. Lost cause. Now, how come this... Why is this a thing in the North or the West? Like, we care why they fought the Civil War. You know, why, why does it matter? We were, my ancestors were here. I guess there were some in the South, some in the North. But the ones I know best were here. They had nothing to do with the Civil War. They were more worried about planting crops and founding villages random places like Zion National Park. That's where Crawfords are from. But why does it gain traction in the North? Because they're trying to forgive the South. Lincoln has this idea that if we can just let it go, we can prevent another war. He's probably, he might be right. He might be wrong. We don't know, and it's not like we can yell at him for it anyway. He's dead got shot. Poor Lincoln. What were you going to say? Good. Perfect, yeah. They're trying to save the South's reputation. And they're trying to make them feel better about this. So they'll rejoin and be happy. Now, who cares? Why does this matter? This matters because this is still super powerful today. It's still super powerful. So we have, I'm going to tell you first of all about the one at the top left. When I was like three, this was the coolest show on television. So picture, I was a three-year-old boy. Three-year-old boys like cars. And I had one of these, a Matchbox version. Wish I still had it. That car, notice, it's called the General Lee. And it has the Confederate flag on the top. Every episode of this show, it was called The Dukes of Hazard. These, those two brothers lived in Hazard County. I, I don't know, like Alabama or whatever. The sheriff was super corrupt, and so something would happen, and they would have to drive away from him really fast. And at some point, the car would go airborne. And the doors didn't open. You had to jump in through the window. Uh, to be fair, every episode was exactly the same. <laughs> I have not seen it for a long time. In Humanities, I showed a snippet of it. I did. That's true. So, this is what this was. I didn't realize that I was be being taught that the Confederate flag was this thing for, like, 
rebels and people who were really good but were operating outside the law. You know what really good people usually don't do? Operate outside the law. Yeah, that's, I, there's exceptions like Martin Luther King Jr. maybe or our founding fathers. But for the most part, Yeah. Okay. We have the South Will Rise Again coming up here. And we have one of the rioters uh, on January 6th. Another one of the rioters. What's this interests me immensely as a, as a folklorist, because that's my other master's degree why people fly the confederate flag especially so this guy if you stopped him and said hey what are you he'd say i'm a patriot and then he's flying the flag from the people that rebelled against the united states or i saw a truck the other day with the american flag and the confederate flag side by side and i'm like i wish i had this person in history so i could give them an f because they've misunderstood something but around here people fly the flag thinking this is a rebel thing well what, you have to think, what were they rebelling against? They were rebelling against the United States. This isn't, this isn't a really great patriot symbol. And I don't think that means, I, I, just to be really clear, I am judging this guy's historical knowledge. I'm not judging his personality. Yeah. The don't tread on me flag is called the Gadsden flag. It comes from the American Revolution. Um, it's kind of a come and take it kind of a thing. It wasn't really that popular. Like there's been more Gadsden flags printed in the last 15 years than there ever were back in history. But yeah, so that, that's the thing. It, it's associated with something called the Tea Party Movement now, okay. which is kind of older, kind of on its way out politically. But it had a big impact, but that's not that's too off topic. Okay, so why is it important? Because this keeps coming up. Because we have this historical memory of the Civil War that's really not accurate. We tend to think that it's about things that it wasn't about, and it gets sold to us over and over again. No, I don't, you probably didn't notice. I showed you the movie Gettysburg. They mentioned slavery only one or two times. And they never had General Lee talk about it. Longstreet did a little bit with the British guy. But for the most part, they're not going to acknowledge that this was a factor. You notice the movie didn't have a lot of black people in it on either side. Right? We're going we're gonna to go through and we're going to try to pretend that this wasn't part of the history. Now, what's that called? Oh, it... Uh, good democratization of memory when we put people back into history but what is what is the name for removing slavery from the civil war what's that what's that called the lost cause did it change on purpose yes this was an intentional thing who did it who was the primary group behind it southerners yes but be more specific the daughters of the confederacy Excellent work. Good. Any questions?